Amen. If you love Jesus this morning, say amen, somebody. Amen. Good to have you with us today. I am really excited about this series. Um, the reason that we are doing this message today is called App, and what we are making an attempt to do is to look forward a little bit, embrace the future in the term, in sense of technology. Uh, Depart a little bit from the very, very, very traditional way of sitting down and you as a congregation just listening to somebody preach for X number of minutes. Um, we, we are long on facts. We are very long on theology and declaring this is what it is uh, that you're to believe and that if you'll embrace this and believe this that God can change your life. I think sometimes the church is really long on the stuff, the dogma, the doctrine. And those are not bad words. For some reason in our generation, probably the last couple of generations anyway, the boomers especially, forward, it's like the word doctrine has become a bad word. And I don't know why. It just means teaching. Um, the Bible obviously is, the, the, the scripture says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed and it's profitable for teaching. The old English King James says it's profitable for doctrine. And so, so many, so many circles, that's become a pejorative term. And so I'm not afraid of doctrine, but I try to, you know, sort of update it a little bit and just tell people this is really about teaching the words of Jesus that will really bring us life. And it's not just about religion. I'm really tired of Sunday school answers. I'm really tired of status quo Christianity. Churchianity will kill you. It will suck the life of God right out of you because you, you can come in and you leave an old life of sinful patterns and behaviors and addictive issues and all those kinds of things. And many times all you do is you just sort of shift it around to a whole new set of expectations that you've got to do. You've got to do this Bible study. You've got to pray an hour a day. You've got to you know, read 100 chapters every day and all these kinds of unrealistic things that I think sometimes we get put on us. And let me tell you, it's good to pray. It's good to read God's word. But if we just turn this around and it becomes don't sin, but now do all of this, all we're doing is just dressing it up in religious garb. Anybody brave enough to say amen? amen. And, and so many times we have people who come to Christ and they really have had an honest-to-goodness, real-life transformation. God calls his sheep by name. He draws them to himself. And then they come in and all of a sudden we, we just slam all this stuff on them. And the, Jesus talked to the Pharisees one day. By the way, that's the only group of people he ever threatened. The religious folks. You know, it's so easy to sit in all of our churches and hear messages against the Pharisees, and we always move in our minds to people down the street, and we think, well, those, that church, and we point down to a particular genre or a style of ministry or a particular traditional as opposed to a contemporary. Let me tell you something. You can, just be, a, you can be a contemporary Pharisee just as easy as you can be a traditional Pharisee. Phariseeism is that kind of judgmentalism and this piling on of all of these extra religious ideas and all this baggage that we have a tendency to think. We tell people that they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Good Reformation teaching. But then when we get them saved, it's almost like they've got to do this huge long list of chores in order to stay saved. And that's what I want to, I want to kick that right in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the bricks of that foundation this morning. Um. We are long on the teaching and we are short on application. Anytime I stand up in the pulpit, I really try very hard to think in terms of a very simple three-point outline. What? Yeah. 
Everybody say what? what? So what? Say so what? So what? Okay, you, so what? That, that's really, really saying, okay, so what does this going to do? How has this made a change? How has this made a difference? And, and, and it's not just enough to say so what, that how this has practically impacted the world, but I try to bring it down to a now what, and where it's a personal application for you. What's this going to do in your life? What? So what? And now what? And so in, in starting this series, I ha, I've been very deliberate in planning because we did a whole series in March on the Apostles' Creed. I believe. Greek word credo. Translated, I believe. It's not we believe. You can't stand corporately and somebody else say for you what we believe, but it has to be a personal conviction. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we believe, therefore we speak. And it's by faith that we declare, I believe. Your, your grandparents may be good godly people, but just because they're believers doesn't mean that's something that necessarily you have embraced. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And every one of us must take that step, make a personal profession, trust in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. But I, I think so many times we declare those things, but then we don't really stop and ask the questions, how is this really going to make a difference in my life? When I get up in the morning, on Monday morning, and I wake up, and, and I've got to go down to that office where half of those people I really don't even want to be around. Come on, anybody in the room honest enough to say Amen. Maybe you've got a great crew. Let me just say this. I want to tell you, I come to, I'm thrilled to be around the team that we have here. You guys should be so blessed to have a, a crew that you're working with and a team that you're working with that really is, uh, um, that, that, that really is edifying and building up and that we're assertive in the sense that we're guarding the vision and we're here to advance the kingdom of God. And, and we, we are not willing to protect anybody's feelings for the sake of just trying to make them feel better if we need to all hear the truth in terms of how can we do a better job advancing God's kingdom? How can we do a better job to be able to reach the current generation? I just don't think that the way the current church world is doing it is, is doing any good. Uh, if you look around Crittenden County, there's really very, very little growth. The last three censuses in each decade year, 1990, 20, 2000, uh, the year 2000, the year 2010, all reveal that there's really been very, very little change in the county. We've got a county where 80% of the population does not go to church. And so this last one just shook me, and I just basically said, God, we're going to have to do something different because we have a whole generation that has not embrace. They've basically done church traditionally the way it's always been done. And they've basically just said, you know, I've been there, done that. And I, I just, I'm going to play the games. I want real. I want real Jesus. I want somebody to show me what real eternal life is about. It's not just about all this sitting up and looking good and, you know, pretending like everything's cool in your life and it's a wreck. I, I would rather, I put on Facebook the other day, I said I would rather really get down into the trenches of somebody's life that's willing to just get real and honest and say, look, this is what I struggle with, instead of trying to play all the religious games and the hide-and-go-seek. And so many times, so many times spiritual leaders have to look at the people he's trying or she is trying to disciple either one, and it's basically a spiritual game of go fish. Uh, give me all your lust. Oh, no, don't have any, pastor. Go fish. Uh, give me all your addiction. Oh, okay, here. Well, the whole point is we shouldn't sit around waiting on somebody to be able to sniff it out and discern it and say there's something wrong here. We ought to be open and just go, look, I want to really be free like this message of the gospel says that I really honest to God can really be free from all the junk. 
that it's, it's not just a nice little sinner's prayer that I dress it up and then I get baptized and then I basically just cover it up and do a good job religiously, stuffing down all of my frustration and my anger and I'm ticked off at God. Maybe this is too real for a couple of folks. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many, anybody want to tell me the truth and say you've been mad at God? Oh, heck yeah, I've been ticked off. You know what? There's just no sense in hiding it and trying to play religious games because he knows it anyway. And the best thing you can do is just, just get on your face and go, God, I'm angry. You're going to have to help me deal with this mess. Last couple of weeks, we've just been trying to be, bring the reality of it. This church, this is what I struggle with every Sunday. This is why we do what we do. This is why I'm up here in jeans and I'm in boots and I'm in an untucked shirt. Is because, not that we're better than, don't you hear that for one second? Because the anointing of God can fill a man who's in a three-piece suit and a tie. And he can proclaim the gospel and people can come to Christ in that format with three hymns. And a three-point message and an offering and a close. He can, God can anoint that. We're not saying we're better than because we can get a pharisaical spirit in the middle of all of this attempt to do something non-traditional just as quick as those folks can. And the scary thing is, is that we don't even know we're getting in that attitude because we think we're so cutting edge. Come on, I'm trying to help some victory folk this morning. Are you hearing me? Because none of this is what any of it's about. I want reality. I want to know the Jesus of the Bible. I don't, I don't, I don't want to play the games. I don't want any more religious Stuff, junk. How many of you will tell the truth and say, we've had, a, we had it up to here? Come on, come on. We, let me just tell you something. Man, we can play the religious games and we can have a good old, I'm going to get real crass, so forgive me. We can have a big old pile of it and we can dress it up in religious garb. And how many of you know it still stinks? The reality is, is that we have to be willing to say to somebody, Jesus, this is my struggle. Pastor, my life group leader, brother, sister in Christ, what does James say? Confess your sins one to another. Drag this stuff out into the light because when it's in the light, the devil can't hold you captive to it anymore. We are talking about the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. What does the new creation really mean? How is it going to affect how I live tomorrow? Is it something that I just shout about on Sunday and we sing great songs and we have a great time and, man, we just work up a, a, a sweat? Is this, what, what is the pastor so animated about? Why is he so emotional? What is all of this excitement? Is, is there really something substantial to this? Or is it just, you know... He's just a little charismatic and maybe gets carried away. Is there something about this that really will, honest to goodness, if I apply it to my life, can I really know, honest to God, real freedom tomorrow? When I'm at work, Monday night when I get home and my wife is ticked off at me, can, can, can I see Christ come into the reality of our relationship and give us peace when it looks like everything's falling apart, when, when it's on the rocks? Is there hope? Is there, is there hope for a, us if we really make a decision to come to Christ and be honest with ourselves and honest with each other and quit playing all the religious games? Can I have an amen? amen. I want you, if you would, stand with me. And I want to read five verses from John chapter 17. John 17, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said these things. I'm reading from the message. Jesus said these things, then raising his eyes in prayer, he said, Father, it's time. 
display the bright splendor of your son so the son in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human so he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. And this is the real and eternal life that they know you. Everybody say, know him. Listen right now. We have to lay aside everything we think we know in our nice little trite churchy Sunday school answers so that we can know and meet the one we need to know. It's not in our theology. Jesus didn't save us because we got our theology right. Matter of fact, every one of us comes all messed up. We're still learning who he is and how great he is and how good and how holy and how righteous and how just he is. You put him in charge of everything human so he might give real, everybody say real, Real. and eternal life to all in his charge, he says. And this is the real and eternal life that they know you, the one and only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, look at this, by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. King James says, I finished the work. Teleos. What did Jesus hang on the cross in John 19 and say his last words? He said, it is finished. He's in the garden sweating great drops of blood and he prays this prayer. He says, Father, it's time. Now glorify me with your very own splendor, the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. Jesus, we honor you this morning. Father God, thank you for the gift that you've given to us in your son the unspeakable gift. I acknowledge before you and this people that I can't do anything apart from you. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. I ask you in Jesus' name that you take the words of this portion of the service, you stir up the hearts of your people, you call your sheep by name, you draw them to yourself today as the gospel proceeds. Let us be all that you've called us to be in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. There are instructions in your bulletin, in your message notes, that tell you that during the course of this message, and I'm already halfway through, I'm going to take 10 minutes, the rest of the service we're going to dedicate to taking your texted in and tweeted in questions. So if you would check inside your bulletin, there's a phone number that, to which you can tweet your question, or you can, I'm sorry, text your question, or you can tweet it in, if you're a Twitter account holder, tweet it into Victory Wired, at sign Victory Wired. Okay? It coincides or correlates with our website, www.victorywired.com. We want to make this intensely practical. Everybody in the room probably has had some experience with a smartphone. You have a, someone in your family who has one, or maybe you've had one or several yourself. I have, I, I personally bit the apple, and I'm, I'm a Mac guy, and so I have an iPhone, and this is running right here. This is my timer for my preaching this morning, and it's actually a little uh, stopwatch. There's an app for that, and you've heard that expression over the last few years. There's probably 100,000 apps. Multitudes of them are free. Some of them are 99 cents, where you can find something on at the app store for your BlackBerry, for your Android Motorola product for your iPhone, whatever, that will apply technology. It will give you a practical use of current technology. This is one that helps me, you know, not get in a puritanical anointing and preach three turns of the hourglass. 
By the way, they didn't think you were worth your salt as a preacher if you didn't at least at last one turn through, which would be into your second hour of preaching. I was just born out of my time. I should have been a Puritan. Good Presbyterian theology, good Reformed theology, want to preach long? Hey, man, that's, that's my dream. That's heaven right there. Just take me back 200, 300 years. I'm just kidding, okay? Um, and so what we want to do in the same way that I showed you one app that helps us practically apply technology, I, I believe that there are things that we can do that will help us practically bring application to the Word of God. That's the so what for all of us and the now what for us personally. So really, what, does it, what difference does the cross make? What, what is it when we talk about the new creation? Uh, the resurrection changes everything, okay? Well, I don't feel different. How, how, you know, I've asked Christ in my heart, and yeah, I've seen some things change, but it's just, you know, I'm still struggling with some stuff. Uh, and the difference in victory in a lot of other churches is that we're just trying to be upfront with it. We just try to say, hey, look, you know, once in a while... We have a little dog who's 14, and she doesn't have control of things sometimes, and so we're laying pads out. There's one part of the house we have been able, thank you, Lord, that we've been able to isolate her business to that part of the house, and it's just, and there are pads all over. And, and you know, there comes a time when you have to go clean up the pads, and we, we, we pull, pull the carpet out, and we put in tile all over the place, so it's easy to mop and clean, because we, we, we love this dog so much. <laughs> Did you see the gritted teeth that I spoke that through? I'm speaking by faith right now. <laughs> Look at your name and say, he just being real? <laughs> that, that's the fact, that there's still stuff to clean up. There's still stuff that we have to deal with. And, and so when we start to talk about this, what was finished in the finished work of Christ at the cross? Number one, and, I, and I'm not going to so much preach this. We're going to do this five weeks in a row. We're going to talk about application of the word for the next five Sundays. We're going to talk about 20 minutes for one big idea, and then we're going to throw the last 15 open to your tweeted in and texted in question. So this morning, here we go. We're talking about three things that are finished at the cross and in the resurrection. Number one, it's a finished sacrifice. Everybody say finished sacrifice. All right. Hebrews chapter 1 says, when he himself, Jesus, made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Everybody say, sat down. Just like I just sat down, and I timed this because I want you to see that I'm not standing up any longer, but I'm kind of, I'm in a place of rest, even though I'm still working right now. Uh, there, there, there's a position of rest. There's a sitting down. God the Father worked six days, and what did he do the seventh? We call it the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, God rested. He rested from his work in creation. God the Father worked and then rested. The scripture says, known unto God are all of his works from the foundation of the world, the book of Acts tells us. Okay? Jesus Christ came. And throughout his whole life, out of active obedience, he is deliberately keeping and fulfilling every one of the laws of God. Being tempted in every way as you are, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, yet without sin. Okay? So Jesus Christ lives what theologians call an impeccable life. There is no... There is no you hear the word peccadillo, like the idea of something that is a sinful. You know, you, you, you're thinking of something that is impeccable, is without accusation. It is 
uh, able to be, uh, no, nothing, no mud can be slung, in other words. No guile, in other words. So Jesus lived an impeccable, sinless life. He was tempted in every way that you and I have been, yet he is without sin. He, he does this out of active obedience and keeping the law of God. And then when he is brought to the place of crucifixion and giving his life, his passive obedience and just giving himself to it, the Father pours down upon him. The scripture says he becomes the sin bearer for us. All we like sheep have gone astray and everyone turned to his own way, Isaiah 53, 6. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He, he carried it, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. There's this giant exchange. The just suffers for the unjust, the the holy for the unholy, the righteous for the unrighteous. And it's basically the finishing of a sacrificial system that has been in play now for thousands of years. Literally from the garden, when God sends Adam and Eve out, before they exit, God prepares for them. In the closing of chapter 3, he gives them coats of skins. He covers them with garments. Now, do you realize that when something gave up its skin, it had to what? An animal had to die. Blood was shed. A, a garment was made so that Adam and Eve could leave covered because they lost the covering that they had known that was the presence of God upon them. They're, they're, the image of God now that was still in them it was broken, it was marred, no longer exuded the glory of God because sin was there. So they had to be covered. They discovered their nakedness in that moment. Literally from the garden, there was the principle of sacrificial something of blood shedding. And all through the Old Covenant, we see a, a very well-established system of free will and trespass and different kinds of offerings that you can study in the book of Leviticus. And you find whole burnt offerings. And you hear, see all of these different kinds of things where bulls and goats and sheep, lambs, turtle doves, depending on the economic status of the individual who's offering the sacrifice. The very poorest who couldn't bring a bull or a goat or a ram or a lamb would bring a little turtle dove because something innocent had to die for the one that was guilty. Price had to be paid. Blood had to be shed because Leviticus 17.11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when Jesus Christ hung on the cross at Calvary and he uttered the words teleos or its derivative to tetelestai, it is finished, it is paid in full. Literally, he was saying that the sacrifice for our sins has been completed. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter. 10 verses 12 through 14. This is not on the screen. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14. Listen. For by a single offering, everybody say single offering. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Everybody say, one offering, one sacrifice. Say, it's finished. Okay? So you understand the principle of what's going on here. There is an Old Testament system, basically, that ends at the cross. Now, it takes another generation. It takes 40 more years before the temple is ransacked and the prophecy that Jesus came in Matthew 24 and said there would not be one stone left standing. And Daniel 9 talks about the end 
of the oblation, the end of the sacrifice. Literally, Jesus said, this generation shall not pass until you see these things being fulfilled. Dispensationalists make an attempt to insert a 2,000-year gap between that generation and now, and they say, basically, God put it on pause. Forgive me, but I think that's a bunch of hogwash. I think literally in that generation that was standing there hearing Jesus speak, that thing got fulfilled because by 70 AD, literally the sacrificial system of every year rolling over into another promissory note, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would go into the most holy place and he would sprinkle the blood on the altar in the presence of God in the most holy place. And literally it didn't wash away their sins, it just remortgaged them. Are you hearing me? All the, all the interest, all of the, de- the sin debt, which we preached two weeks ago out of Colossians 2, Jesus said, I canceled that debt, I took it, I set it aside, and I nailed it to the cross. So that dealt with it. It's gone. Look at your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, there's not a record. Are you hearing what I just said? There's not a record. Jesus does not keep up with your transgressions. Literally, the sacrifice has been finished. Secondly, this morning, number two, we have a finished victory. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one. That's the purpose of Jesus, to destroy the work of the, of the devil. Colossians 2.15, right out of that same passage where he nailed it to his cross and we came forward, people in both services streaming, writing things on a piece of paper and picking up a hammer and nailing it to that wooden cross. It said, having spoiled principalities and powers, Jesus made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The devil is defeated this morning. Completely. The victory is finished. It's already done. It's already won. Revelation 1, Jesus comes up out of the grave holding the keys of death and the grave and Hades. He has won the victory. Are you hearing me? Number three, I got to put this in turbo. Number three, we've talked about a finished sacrifice. Number two, a finished victory. Number three this morning, a finished salvation. A finished salvation. Too many times we ask the question, have you been saved? And really the real question should be, have you been justified? The Greek word for saved is soteria. Well, you want to go, so what? That's really going to make a difference in my life tomorrow to be able to say saved is soteria. I'm not here to impress anybody, but I want to give you some understanding. When we say saved, basically we say, hey, listen, I confess Christ and I've got newness in my life and there's something different. Really, saved means completely delivered, totally set free. Complete and absolute freedom and liberty in Christ. And that's what Jesus paid for. It's all already finished, completely done. But there are three words that I want you to grab hold of. And we're going to talk about this just a moment with some questions. What you really mean is when you make a commitment to Christ is that you've taken that first step. You've been justified. Everybody say justification. That's a legal change. You are no longer guilty. You've stood before the bar of heaven. God has acquitted you. He has said, because another one has taken your place, you are justified just as if I'd never sinned. Everybody say justified. Now say this with me. Just as if I'd. Say it again. Just as if I'd never sinned. It's a play on words, but it makes the point. The second one is sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. 
That's where God takes us now that we have been justified and made right with him. Justification and righteousness are the same Greek word, dikaiosune. So when you say I'm justified, I've been justified by faith, literally you're saying I'm the righteousness of God. Sanctified is when God begins the work of personally changing us and to the image of Jesus. We start to take on a life of holiness. I might try to do what I used to do, but I can't do it now and enjoy it anymore. I still I have choice. I can choose to do wrong. But thank God there's something on the inside of me that reminds me that's not who you were born to act like. How many of you, when you were raised, your mama grabbed you by the, by the nap of your neck and said, uh-uh, we are Smiths and we don't act like that? How many of you had that? Man, that's a powerful lesson because that's what God does with you. He says, uh-uh, I birthed you. I, I, I gave my son's blood for you. You're a child of the king. That's not who you are. You used to be an idiot who acted like that, but that's not who you are now. Sanctification, that's the whole process that we're in right now. Finally, the, the third one is glorification. That's a corporal change. The body changes. Death is swallowed up. Now, literally, listen to this. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When I got saved, literally what happened was God made alive my spirit that used to be dead. Everybody say spirit, spirit soul, soul, and body. Say justified, justified sanctified, sanctified glorified. glorified. Come on, do this with me now. I'm going to walk. I want you to say past. past. Let's get over here now. Present. present. Come on, let's go. Here we go. Future. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do one more, all right? Say I have been saved. Say, I am being saved. saved. Come on. Say, I shall be saved. saved. Are you with me now? This looks like a a game on on your... uh, By the way, I I want you to have your phones out. Just don't be playing Angry Birds and Doodle Jump, okay? (laughs) Tweet in your questions. Text them in. Literally, I'm brought out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the land. 30-fold, 60-fold hundredfold. Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles. That's when I'm justified. This is when I'm sanctified. Finally, I have been saved. I'm being saved. I shall be saved. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? If I die right now, I'll be in the presence of God. But right now, I want to tell you there's something that's still going on because I'm having to... What did Romans chapter 12 verse 2 say? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind, that's the soul. So I, I, I have to reorder my thinking. I have to be renewed to who I am now, not what I used to be before I was justified, before the blood got applied, blood, water, and spirit. Those threes are stamped all over the word. He saved me in the past. He's walking with me and transforming my mind, and, and the, the, the fruit of Christ is growing in me, and holiness is becoming more and more part of my life. But finally, there will be a day when I see him and this body This corruptible will put on incorruptible. Glorification will be the capstone of everything that we talk about when we say that we're saved. All right. Now, so we've thrown all that out this morning. I'm going to invite Pastor Alex to come with a microphone. And whatever we've said this morning, if there's something that is confusing to you or you have a question about, make sure it relates to what we're talking about, the finished work of Christ. 
He's coming now. We're going to take the last few minutes of this and try our best to answer some questions so this stuff can really make some sense to you, okay? Pastor Alex? Good morning. Good morning. Y'all got your texts ready to go? I'm getting some really good ones coming in here right now. Okay, let's see here. This is, this is probably one we've all, all struggled with at some point or another, and, and I've grown up here in this argument sort of on both sides. Can you lose your salvation, Pastor Mike? Wow. Gosh, you just start off with the hard ones in the very beginning, don't you? Uh, let me just say to you before I even step into this that there are people in this room who think you do and can, and there are those who think you can't. And I just want to say that I respectfully share what my conviction is at this point. I grew up a Pentecostal, and I would, grow, I would go to bed at night wondering if there was something that I had done that day that wasn't right with God, and that if Jesus came back, that I would go to hell. And uh, I'm thankful for my Pentecostal roots and the heritage that I grew up in. I, I love that. There are a number of things that I feel like that I have biblically pursued because of the word coming alive in me and me getting a, what I think is a broader picture of the scripture, just to very simply say on the front end, no, I do not believe you can lose your salvation. All right, I'll just tag on to that. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he Predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, justified. and those whom justified. he justified, he also, he also glorified. So the way I read it is he did it all. So I don't, if God chooses you as his child, I don't think you can get out of it. You're kind of stuck with God, you know what I mean? So it ain't really up to us. Let me just ask the question. Let's, God has given every one of us this amazing picture of nature and how he reveals his glory in nature and even in our own relationships Every one of you in the room who've had a child, do you remember the moment you held that newborn the first time in your hands? And you, every one of you, you've had this thought. You thought, oh my gosh, I don't even know this baby, but already I'm in love with this child. I love this child so deeply. And you, you immediately think, if I love this child with such intense feelings, that can't be anything compared to how much my heavenly father loves me. Because God's love is infinite. Ours is finite. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay, so this is the thing. In the, while that child's growing up, and, and, and uh, because my son, by the way, he's graduating A-State next Saturday. I'm so proud of Drew. Um, just, he's, he's made it, and we had dinner last night. I gave him a new graduation present and just excited. I'm so proud of him. But I'm going to tell you, he pulled some stuff growing up. I did too. I, you know what? I don't know all that he pulled. It's probably a good thing I don't know all that he's done. My, my parents sure didn't know everything that I did. But I'm going to tell you, I remember a particular situation. We were talking about this at the table last night. We, we ate at the Fuji Steakhouse in Jonesboro. It's kind of a Benihana-type place, and we're sitting there, and we're laughing about it. And um, actually, we had seen something at breakfast that, that morning over at High Hop. Abby and Dawn and I had gone, and we saw a beautiful family with six little boys, all dressed just alike. And one of them had a fit. And he's over to the side. We're in IHOP and just gorgeous children. And he's just over here like this. And I said, do you think he's in timeout? Dawn said, no, he's, uh, he's exerting his authority, his rebellion is what he's doing. <laughs> and the family just went on eating. He's just over there doing his own thing. And Dawn starts telling us a story. She reminds us, she said, you know what? Drew had a breakdown in Walmart one time. He was about two years old. 
And she said, I grabbed him up by the belt of his pants, and I all the way out the door, I'm just wearing him out. And the people were laughing. I'm saying, I'm, you know, back then, it's a good thing. You probably would get reported to DHS now. But, you know, I'm thankful for some of those things that I had. My parents loved me so much, I never did stop being the son of Grady and Mary Smith because of the junk that I pulled. My relationship did not change. My fellowship might not have been too wonderful. Are you hearing me? Okay, I I just want to make sure that we're clear on this. If you can lose your salvation, then you never got eternal life in the first place. You just got a little bit of temporary life. What I'm trying to tell you, and you know what, if you don't believe that, I respect you, but I just want to tell you, I got into the Word, I began to understand what the Word said, and I began to see how much my Heavenly Father loved me, and I'm telling, okay, if, if, if a sin or two can cause you to totally lose it, then how, which, where is that mark? Is it the third sin? Is it the fourth one? Well, Mike, uh, let me just interject, this just came in. If I had an abortion and I had asked for forgiveness, am I still forgiven? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's right. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, this one who offered himself once is able to purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Thank you. I don't know who you are, but I want to tell you something. Jesus, if you've you've asked Jesus to forgive you, Mm -hmm. he has no record of that. He nailed it to the cross. It's gone. It is... As far as the east is from the west, Dr. Billy Graham said this. He's thrown them into the sea of forgetfulness, and he's posted a sign that says no fishing. If God's forgotten about it, you need to let the blood separate you from that past. That past issue no longer defines who you are. Here's one more to tie into that. I'm saved, forgiven through Jesus, but can't forgive myself and feel unworthy. Don't belong or fit with a congregation. Constantly beating me up. What do I need to do to feel closer to God and feel worthy of his love? Uh, Well, let me tell you, whether you feel worthy or not, he sent his son for you. And I'm looking at the whole group because I don't know who this is, and he doesn't either. These numbers are, you know, we don't know who names who these questions. That's what's the beauty of this thing. Um, I just want to say to you that that's where the renewing of our mind comes in. That's where a little bit of time in the Word. Maybe you need to sit down with a life group leader or with one of the pastors And let us pray with you personally, individually. And let's mark a line in that. Because one of the greatest things the enemy uses in your life is a kind of forced insecurity. And you need to know that you are, Ephesians 1, accepted in the beloved. He looks at you and he calls you his child. Whether you feel worthy of that or not, he's already said that you are his. Now, when you start to understand that, then those feelings, when it really comes down to it, none of us are worthy. At the same time, there is a value to you and there is a worth to you. When we say we're not worthy, it's kind of a two-edged sword. I'm not worthy of anything God would give me in my own right. But yet he loved me so much that he poured out the priceless worth of his son's blood to rescue us. Are you hearing me? Listen to this one. This is one I know I've asked myself in the past. Are there any unforgivable sins? And if so, what? You know, oh gosh, man. Uh, probably the, the big one would be what we refer to in the scripture as the blasphemies of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think you actually have to just turn and, and forgive me, but I'm going to make it real 20-something. You just have to basically flip God off in, with your mouth in the words, and you have to just you know get verbal and curse God. And, and I, I think literally... To, to totally denounce God in every kind of way. 
I, I can't bring this to bear in, in the sense that I'm trying to, to say this, to in every way denounce, curse God, you know, say everything evil that you can against the Son of God, against the Holy Spirit. And I don't think anybody in the room has done that. I don't think you have to. But the fact that you're concerned about it already shows right there that you've not done that. Okay? Someone in the back's holding up a swastika. <laughs> I'm not sure what that was. Oh, okay. They're telling us our time's short. Uh, one more. One more. Now, now this is good. I'm going to take it. It was an X, y'all. He's, I was he's, just playing. Can he's we, a joke. Can we not be real here? This is supposed to be real. Somebody says, um, when are we going to have more bathrooms? I need to pee. <laughs> I figured that was GLAC. I'm not sure, but thanks, Greg. Uh, no, seriously, I'm going to take a stab at this one. I've tried to change my attitude and life for God, but every time I do, something gets in my way or my friends pull me away from it. Any advice? I'm going to take a shot at this one. You know what? That's going to happen every single day. And in fact, Apostle Paul wrote about this thing, man. He had this internal struggle going on. He always says, you know, the things that I want to do, I can't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing what's wrong with me, he says. You know what? And so I think it's easy for us to walk out of here, man, and we hear a good sermon or we hear some good praise and then we get in life and then something bad happens, right? And then that is where we go under attack and our belief becomes in question, our faith is challenged, which says, hey, is this thing real, man? Is God really real? And I'm going to tell you what's helped me. And I'm still learning this big time because i gotta compl- I got to preach to myself. Anybody else out there? i got to keep preaching the gospel to myself more than anybody else. Because if I can't preach it to myself, then I'm going to quit believing it. You know, So i got to keep preaching to myself. And so when that thing happens, whatever it is, because it's going to, because life's messed up and this is a fallen, sinful world, I got to stand on the Word of God. Even when I don't feel like it, I got to stand on the Word of God and know that it's absolutely true every single time. And so when I can put that over my emotions or my circumstances, then I can walk with God. I don't think you can get any better than that. Give him a hand. Praise God. Let me just say. You know, we, we are not trying to do anything by shock value. Sometimes just real is shocking. Um, I, I'm reading a Francis Schaeffer book right now called The Finished Work of Christ. And um, he, said, he said religious people don't like to deal with reality. He said, but the Bible never covers up reality. It deals with humans just as they are. And the most real thing that you can do is to basically just own up to what your struggle is and quit playing the church game. Because we all come in here, and it's so easy. You know, the, the, the person who's not walked with God comes in, and they get this amazing life transformation, and they're excited, and they're bouncing off the wall and the ceiling, and they've got joy, and they've got a testimony because they really can say, I once was, but now I am. And they talk about their life change and the the mess that they were in that God's made into a message, the test that's become a testimony. And so many times we remember how awesome that was, but now we've been around believers enough and we pick up Christianese. And we start learning the, the expected things to say that you expect believers to respond with. You can be eat up with a struggle, with jealousy or lust or an addiction or, or envy or whatever you're struggling with. And, and, and if you learn Christianese and you can just put on a big, nice, charismatic smile, praise the Lord, how are you? How are you? I, I, do it, come on, help me. Bless you, bless you. I hate that. 
I don't, I don't want anybody to bless me, okay? I, I, I grew up, and that's, that's the way. You know, and, and it's all this kind of a brother-sister thing, and it's an arm's length kind of thing, and it's basically you stay in your world, I'll stay in mine, and don't really get too close. And all of this idea of by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another just sort of all goes out the door. Now, I'm gonna, I'll just be honest with you. When, the, when Jesus sat around the campfire and he's talking to these men, I guarantee you they had some really pretty raw conversations. For one thing, I know they did because he was dealing with some fishermen who are usually pretty salty anyway. Why is it that 2,000 years later that we just divorce ourselves from being real and everything's got to be kind of dressed up in a Sunday best and have a pipe organ playing in the background? Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. Don't get me wrong, okay? But I just don't see that ambiance with Jesus and those men. I think he was just being re- cut to the chase, baby. Tell me what it is. How many of you hear where I'm coming from? That's what we've got to have. And you know what? I've been preaching 20 years. I, 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 I think probably, even though we're going to do what we've just done this Sunday, every Sunday this month, all five Sundays, think about it. If Wrestle with this this week. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about a new identity, the new man, Romans chapter 6, what it means to be a new man in Christ. The, the old is gone, the new has come. And, and we're going to try again to, to, to hit this in about 20 minutes and then open up with some questions. I want to hear those questions that came today have been phenomenal. I, I want to give God praise for your honesty to be willing to speak to some of the things that you said. Come on. That's real life. And this is what we want to do at Victory. We want to be real people who serve the real God in a real world. We're not playing games. It's not some kind of nice little frou-frou'd, precious moments kind of Christianity. I, I want to gag. I go in the Christian bookstore and I see all of this crap that, that paints this ridiculous notion about what Christianity is. Christianity deals with that person who made that decision to have an abortion. It deals with the person this morning who's struggling with their identity and their sexuality. It de- it's God is willing to get down into the trenches with you and scoop out all of your refuse and your dung and all the junk. He's willing to flood that with the water of the word, Ephesians 5, and wash you clean with the water of the word and bring you into a very real practical freedom in Christ. Come on, somebody. If you would bow your head with me, please, this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Gracious God, we thank you that your word says that he that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has not life. It's that simple. But the wrath of God already abides on him. God, there are people in this room this morning that are in both of those categories. They have the Son in them. They have the life of God in them. There are others who do not have the Son and they don't have the life of God. And the Scripture says the wrath of God abides on them right now. Not in a future hell only, but right now. And I would just ask you, very, very simple. There's there's not a spectrum. There's not a gray. It's not multitudes of expressions of shades here. It's just one or the other. Do you have the son or not? Is he in your heart? 
He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Which line of demarcation are you on this morning? Do you know Jesus is your personal Savior? Doesn't mean you've got all your ducks in a row. There ain't nobody in the room who has that. We are still growing. Christ's work for us at the cross is finished. Christ's work in us is ongoing in every one of us. His Holy Spirit is still working in us. I would just ask you right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you like to be included in this prayer right now? I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you would, if you would just say with me right now, Pastor, I want to know with confidence that I have the Son in my life and that I'm in Christ, a new creature. If you'd like to be included in that prayer with no one looking around, if you would just slip your hand up, that's all I'm going to ask you for. It's just a hand. Yes, I see that, brother. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm going to wait just a moment. Anyone else? Yes, there's another. Thank you for my sister. Anyone else this morning? All right, for those that are believers in the room this morning and you've just sensed a freshness in this season, God is drawing you, he's speaking to you to to cry out to him and get to know him. You want reality. Maybe there's something that he's brought to the front. Circumstances have put the puts you on the burner in life and it's sort of cranked up the heat and something's been in there that you didn't even know it and God's revealing it. And you would just be willing to say, you know what, I need God to help me in this. I know Jesus, but I'm struggling with something. I need some help. And I see several hands already going up around the room. Yes, thank you. Father God, we join our hearts together in prayer and we thank you. This is our best attempt to just unvarnish bring reality, to bring the truth, to say, Jesus, you love us in the middle of all of our stuff, all of our junk. And Lord, we we don't want to play religious games and keep that hidden and just try to go through the motions. God, we want to just drag it out into the light because we know that the enemy wants us to keep it hidden in the closet in the dark. But if we'll pull it out into the light, then it will deal with it. And the enemy has no more to be able to, to hurl accusation at us. Because once it's in the light, you can obliterate it. You can destroy the works of the enemy. Jesus, I thank you this morning for these who raised their hands to to make a profession of faith. Thank you that they sense the drawing power and the presence of the Holy Spirit move in their hearts and their lives today. In, In Jesus' name, as they speak these words out of their heart, come into my heart, save me, Jesus. Lord, as they repent from their past and turn toward you, God, I thank you that you make them to know that they are your children, their son and the daughter of God. Lord, for these who raise their hands that are honestly saying, I've got a struggle. I'm a believer. Jesus is in my heart, but I have something that's still not fixed. God, be with each one of those. Renew them in their thinking to see what the word says and then to say what the word says about their struggle. To speak to the mountain. Lord, to see freedom come in their lives. Because Jesus, you died so that we could be free. And you live so that we can walk in that freedom. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.